You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming with Pastor Keith Miller. Our scripture reading today comes from Job chapter 42, verses 1 through 6, that can be found at page 446 of the Church Bibles. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Aristotle said this. He, I mean, he believed that, that life had purpose, and he said the universe is always changing so that what is today is never the same tomorrow. He also said... Everything that happens to you today is turning you into the person you are becoming. Aristotle was a pagan. (laughs) Uh, He did not worship the God of the Hebrew people. But yet there is something in us that God, well, God has wired us. He's created us in his image. So there there is this ability that he's put into us to see and to recognize truth. And I think this is a, a case of that, where he's able to see something, see that there's truth you know, b- behind this thing that he's trying to wrap his mind around. Bill Gates believes that a rigid view, that there is purpose behind everything that happens as, you know, as, poten- as being potentially hurtful and not always true. So he, in his blog titled, Not Everything Happens for a Reason, he admits this. He says, on the one hand, it's nihilistic to think that every outcome is simply random. I have to believe that the world is better when we act morally and that people who do good things deserve a somewhat better fate on average than those who don't. Anybody uh, have a word for, for that? Um, karma, right? I've heard that from Christians, okay? So I, like I've heard, uh, you know, it's karma. Um, really? Well, according to karma, good deeds lead to good karma and possible and possible a better life, and bad deeds lead to bad karma and possibly a better or a, a worse afterlife. Um, you know, you've heard this. You get you get served what you deserve, or you get what you deserve, or what? What's another way we can say it? Yeah, what goes around comes around. Um, and so, you know, I thought. I wonder how many Americans believe that. 31% of, there was a poll that was uh, done recently, fairly recently, within the last, I think, three years, uh, about about what Americans believe about karma. 31% of its respondents stated that they believe very strongly in the concept of karma. 34% stated that they believe in karma somewhat strongly. 
and only 10% of Americans stated that they don't believe in karma at all. Uh, I wonder what, uh, what the opinion would be of those in the church. And then on the, uh, another way to respond to life or life circumstances might not be, you know, well, it's karma, you know, uh, what goes around comes around. Uh, could be, um, you know, luck. You know, how many of you said, I feel lucky today, right? Uh, luck is the positive, negative, or improbable thing or circumstance that happens at any time due to random chance. And so some think, well, the, the, the reason for the way the universe behaves the way the universe behaves or the reason why the world is the way that it's in is really just, you know, chalked up to good luck and bad luck. And so does everything happen for a reason? And what do you mean by that when you say that? Is it karma? Or is it just random chance? You know, I, the life of Job is really interesting. And so I, I, and what I wanted to do, I intentionally thought it would be good to just have Job's final response to his circumstances be the scripture passage that is read in, in preparation for this sermon, where his conclusion is, I know that you can do all things. But, um, and I encourage you, if you have a Bible or a digital device, we'll grab the Bible from underneath the seat in front of you. Um, you want to turn open to Job, because that's where we're going to camp. I'm going to look at some passages in Job. I think we tend to remember things more when we see them. Um, you know, the Word of God is the Word of God. You don't have to have it in, in page format to be able to, to, to read it. But I think it's good <laughs> um, to, to bring your Bible to church or use your digital device and follow along. In Job chapter 1, we're introduced to Job in this way. Uh, and, and this is what we learn of Job. There was a man in the land of uh, Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright. It's really important that you understand, like the very first thing that we're told about Job is he's blameless and he's upright. Now next week, I'm preaching on the statement that uh, bad things happen to good people. So it's kind of like a two-part sermon, if you, if you will. But, um, but he said he's blameless and upright, one who feared God, and turned away from evil. Now the word evil is going to be used multiple times throughout the book of Job. Sometimes it's referring to legitimate evil, and then other times it's referring to destruction or uh, you know calamity. Okay, so Job is a poetic book. It's you know from chapter one all the way through the last chapter is poetry. It's meant to read like poetry. We just can't appreciate it as poetry in English because it was because it wasn't originally written in English, right? But it's a story about Job. I think Job was most likely a, a legitimate, real person. Some evangelical, Bible-believing, gospel-centered Christians, scholars, theologians, believe Job is kind of like a, um, he's like the, a type of person. And maybe, maybe he wasn't a, a, like a, an actual person. I think he was an actual person. And he was righteous, and he loved God, and he turned away from evil. And there are other things that we learn about him in just the opening verses of Job. 
Like, he seemed to be a man who loved his wife, had a good marriage. I mean, they had seven sons and three daughters. He seemed to have a, a, a deep love for his children. We're told that every morning he got up and he offered a burnt offering, or he offered an offering, a sin offering, um, uh, for each one of his children. Why? Because when they were out, hanging out with their friends or whatever they were doing, just in case, this is really important and it's deliberately used here, just in case they sin. He actually said this in verse uh, chapter 1, uh, verse, at the end of verse 5. He said, For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Therefore, I'm just going to offer a sin offering just in case for each of his children. I just want you to appreciate what, what that meant for him, what he had to do to do that. He had to sacrifice an animal because it's, like the Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. It was, a portrait, it was a picture of what God would do through his son down, years and years down the road after Job. But he would have to prepare a sacrifice and sacrifice that animal for each one of his children. And he did this every morning. We also learn he was very wealthy. So he was able to do that because he had lots of animals. He he, he had all kinds of animals, which was an indication of his wealth. So that's, what we're, that's, what Job, that's how Job is introduced to us at the very beginning. And, um, and then, in just in a chapter, <laughs> he lost everything. I'll read to you what happened, and, and then we'll, I'll go back to why it happened. But this is what happened, and it's, it's found in verse 13 through uh, verse 19, it says, Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside, beside them. And uh, the sea beans, I don't even know what sea beans are, but they fell upon them and took them and, and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. So he lost all of his, his stock, his livestock. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of, of God fell down from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. Maybe lightning, maybe a storm, maybe legitimate fire just coming down from heaven, and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And you're like, wow, that's really bad. I mean, that's a really bad day. Well, it gets worse. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, the uh, Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Like, now he could write a country song. Like, don't hate on country music. Uh, I just did. Okay, so verse 18. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Within a day, he lost everything. Everything was going awesome. Everything was going great, and it was gone. So what was his response? He arose and tore his robe. 
He shaved his head. Why would he do that? It was a posture of mourning. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I don't know about you. I, I pray and hope that if I ever experience some level of loss on that level, I would be able to go before the Lord and worship with that kind of attitude. But this man lost everything. He lost everything. And, and, and what Job didn't know, what he could not possibly know, was that there was, some, there, there, was, there was something going on beyond his eyes, and that's something we are, we're told about in verse 6 of chapter 1. And, we're saying, and, and there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, the angels, okay? And Satan also came among them. That's the bad guy, in case you're wondering. <laughs> and... Um, Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it, and the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? Meaning, I know what you're thinking. And there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. Remember, he sacrificed. It's another theme in the Bible here, this word curse or in Job. Like he, every morning got up, sat, made a sacrifice for each of one of his children just in case they cursed God. Satan says, Stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he'll curse you. He'll curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord, and then Job lost everything that he had in a day. Why? Because Satan approached God, and he said, I bet you I can get Job to curse you. And God said, have at it, but you just can't, you can't touch him. And Job's response to what he lost was not what Satan in, in, intended. So there are a lot of things we can learn from this. I said this last week, and I'll, I'll piggyback on this next week, but um, Satan is on a, le on a leash. It's a long leash. But he's on a leash, and the one who holds the leash is God Almighty. The other thing is, is he can't be everywhere at, the, at all times. He's smart, he's cunning, he's been observing mankind for a long time. can pretty much predict what mankind or what people will choose to do, what governments will, will, will try to do. Um, but he, he doesn't know all things. He can't be everywhere at once. And so he wanted to test Job. And he did. And Job's response was not what Satan intended. And so, 
In fact, Job's response was the opposite. Job worshipped God, and his response was, I came from the womb naked, I will die naked. Whatever was mine was the Lord's in the first place, and so it's his right to take it. Even though it sucks, because he's mourning here, remember that. He's not like, yay, God took everything from me. This will test my faith. This is a horrible thing that he's experiencing. He has shaved his head, and he has postured himself in a posture of mourning, and, and, and he is sorrowful. His heart has been crushed. So Satan says, you know, skin for skin, that's what he says in chapter 2. There was a day, verse 1, where the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan, of course, God knew where he came from. And Satan answered the Lord uh, and said, from going to and fro uh, on the earth and from walking up and down on it. Remember, this is poetry, okay? You know, when somebody writes a song and they write a song about their life, just because it's a song doesn't mean that what's, what's being sung about is not true about their life. This is a song. And it's about Job's life. And, um, and so the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? And there's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He still holds fast his integrity. Another important word. Although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Then Satan answered, The Lord, and he said this, he said, Skin for skin, all that a man has he will give for his life but stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh and he will curse you to your face. So God says, okay, you can touch him, but you can't take his life. So what happened? Satan went out, verse 7, from the pre- chapter 2, from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his feet to the crown of his head. And what was Job's response? He took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in ashes. Now, why did he sit in ashes? It's a posture of repentance. I don't know why this is happening to me. Did I do something wrong? Maybe it's also a posture of mourning. Um, You don't sit in ashes because your day is going well, right? Right? And why is he taking this bone and scraping himself? I think it's just to provide some form of relief from, from these sores. Maybe he's trying to bring some type of healing to his body. I'm not entirely sure. You think, man, that's as bad as it can get. And again, his posture and his response to what he experienced was not what Satan intended. So, um, it gets worse. <laughs> then his wife said to him, remember, every morning he offered a sacrifice for each of his children just in case they cursed God. And, he, and his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. And this is Job's response. This is like, Good marriage counseling, by the way. (laughs) Look at his response. He said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaking. He doesn't say you're foolish. He says you're speaking like a foolish person. 
He doesn't demean her. He doesn't say, get out of my face. I, I, probably, I mean, that, it would have been very tempting for me to say, you know what, don't even talk to me. It, like, she wants him to do the very thing that he can't do, curse God and die. And then he says to her, shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? The other way to translate evil is destruction. Shall we receive, shall we receive the good things God has blessed us with and then not also be willing to receive, the, uh, receive his hand when he takes those things away from us? Even my own health? And he says, or, and we're told, in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. And we're like, wow, that's as bad as it can get. Like, he lost everything he had, then, then he lost his health, right? And now his wife, like, amplifies his suffering by saying, curse God and die. Um, just a, a, a good lesson to take from this. It's not helpful if your spouse is dealing with depression or suffering or going through some traumatic thing for you to watch him or her go through that and then complain. She's complaining. Like, just curse God and die. I don't know if she thinks it would be easier on her life if Job was just out of the picture. Maybe he's the reason why they lost their children. Maybe he's the reason why he lost all of his wealth. Maybe he's the reason why they're now poor. Just curse God and die. And then, towards the end of chapter 2, Job's friends show up. And I'm, I'm not going to go through all of Job, but just his friends show up. And from chapters 4 all the way through verse, uh, chapters 37, they try to give Job a theological explanation why he is the reason why he's suffering. Like, you must have done something wrong, Job, because God doesn't inflict this kind of, uh, of destruction on those who are really righteous. And, and all through chapters 4 through 37, there's a back and forth exchange between Job and his friends, and not once does Job ever curse God. The only, <laughs> chapter 2, we're in chapter 3. Um, it, what he does do, though, in chapter 3, is he curses the day of his birth. And this is the exchange that they have, all that we have between he and his friends. And his wife just drops out of the picture. Um, you assume she's back in the picture as in the very last verses of Job, um, of the chapter of Job. But, but it's just between him and his, and his friends, or so-called friends. His friends, wind up turning, they turn out to be not so great counselors. And... Um, and so, Tim Keller says something really interesting that I, I, I came across as I was preparing my sermon, and I, I couldn't say it better. He said this, here's what's interesting. Job's wife says, get up and say, I hate God. But on the other hand, Eliaphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, Job's friends, say, get up and say, I hate me. They have a totally different approach. 
She completely blames God and says, God is wicked, you should curse God, you should hate God, get rid of God, curse him and die. His friends say, get up, particularly Eliaphaz says, I have never seen an innocent man perish like you. Therefore, you know, you're not really innocent. And so that's Job's life. That's all of Job, all the way up until uh, chapter 38. And so then we've got to ask ourselves, what is the purpose? Why, why the suffering? Is this random? Is this karma? Because karma would say, Job, you just got what was coming to you. You did something wrong to jack up your karma, and therefore you lost everything. Or maybe like in a, in a previous life, if you believe in reincarnation, um, which Bible does not endorse reincarnation at all, but, but like karma does. And so karma would say, you deserve what you're, you're deserving what you got even though you're not sure why you're getting what you're getting. Luck says, this is just by chance. There's no purpose behind your suffering at all. Job's friends were trying to figure it out. Job, maybe you're the reason. And we're forced as the reader to ask, well, why? Why the suffering? Is there purpose behind this? Job asks the same question. In fact, Job is wrestling with the, if you read the, the, the Job's statements and his arguments, he is saying the things that you and I might say if we find ourselves in a similar situation, like cancer or a pandemic or you know, being falsely accused or you know, being, you know, finding yourself in prison when you don't really deserve to be in prison. He says some of the th same things that you and I might say. In fact, I think Job is a gift to you and to me, especially Job's comments, because it gives us language for our own lamenting when we don't understand why bad things are happening. Why am I suffering? What is the purpose behind, behind the stuff in my life? It, it, if we go back to chapter 2, verse 10, you don't have to physically go back there, but if you think about what Job said to his wife, he said, shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? I was thinking about that this week, and, and uh, the thought occurred to me that what Job was missing, like, I, he wasn't wrong in what he said, but he was missing something. He was missing, he wasn't seeing the full picture. He was assuming that because God is sovereign, he has the right, and he rightly assumed this, has the right to give and to take away. Because he's the owner. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He spoke the galaxies into existence. You are here today, and I am here today, because there is a God who is sovereign. And it is his, it's his right to take away, and it is his right to give. Job rightly assumed that, but he stopped short of, of wrestling with how his suffering that God has allowed, and by allowing it, brought upon Job, how that coincided with the goodness of God. Like, his conclusion should have been, or his thought process should have been, God is sovereign, he has given me good, he has taken away, and he should have concluded when he said, to his wife, when he said these things to his wife, there's something good that God is doing behind all this. I'm not sure what it is, but because he is good, he has allowed this in my life. So in chapter 3, he's like, I, wish, I, I just wish I were never, never even born. And then, as you get into chapter 38, chapter 38, 
God speaks. All the way up to this time, it was just Job and his friends. Some of Job's complaints included, God is silent. He has turned his back on me. He has forgotten me. A lot of the same things when we read in the Psalms. You know, these are lamenting things that Job, Job was lamenting. But in chapter 38, this is how God answers Job. And this you want to look at. It's interesting. He says, um, Then the Lord answered Job, Yahweh, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. When Yahweh is used, it's in reference to God as this faithful God. He keeps his covenant. He's a good God. He is a God who's perfect in every way. He's a God who doesn't need to improve upon himself. Yahweh answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkness, or that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? God is not speaking to his friends, nor is he speaking to his wife. He's speaking to Job here. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man, and I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Or, what were its ba- or where were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Where were you, Job? Was God being mean in his answer to Job? No. What, what is he doing here? Job, you need to see my character. You need to be reminded of who I am in light of what you're suffering because you're missing it. You're missing it. And, and a friend of mine who's now with Jesus, who had cancer and went home to be with Jesus, um, when he was speaking on these chapters at a youth um, retreat that I was a part of, he called these the kick-butt chapters of Job. Like, God's like, okay, you listen now. And God explains to Job, or at, through a series of questions, who created all this? Were, were you there, Job? Did you help me do this? You are the product of my creation. And then, here's Job's answer in chapter 40. Shall the fault finder contend with the Almighty? Anybody remember what Almighty means? It's Shaddai. It's used at least 30 times in Job. The all-sufficient one. I didn't say this last time, but I'll say it here. It is a picture of when that child is born to his or her mother and that child is brought to the chest of his or her mother and is fed for the first time. That should die. There's life there. There's safety there. There's security there. Shall the fault finder contend with Shaddai, the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Right? So, so that's what the God said to Job. And Job's response, Behold, I am a small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once and I will not answer twice, but I will 
proceed no further. And then God kicks it in again. And, and so he begins to, you know, God continues his explanation of, this is what I've created. This is what I've done. Look at the big things that I've done in your world, Job. What does that say to you about me? And, that's, and then Job answers in chapter 42. I know that you can do all things. Then no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. I've seen your holiness. I know that the only one who's truly righteous is God Almighty. I know that the only one who doesn't need to improve upon himself is Shaddai, El Shaddai. As I, um, as I wrap this up, I mean, what's interesting about Job is there are, there are three names that are used of God all throughout Job. There's Elohim, which is the God who creates, there's Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God. There's Shaddai, the one who is the all-sufficient one. But the name that's not mentioned in this, but is all through this, right? It's not mentioned once that I'm aware of in Job, but it is all over Job, and that is the name of God that is Adonai, the sovereign one. The sovereign one. So does everything happen for a reason? It depends on, you know, what do you mean? What do you mean by that? Do you mean what goes around comes around? Do you mean um, that a person is lucky or unlucky? Then the answer to that question is no. But if you mean by, the, by that statement everything happens for a reason, that there is a God and he is Adonai, he is the sovereign one, then yeah, I want to say something that um, might ruffle your feathers a little bit, might, might agitate you a little bit, but God cannot be Adonai in a universe where karma and luck exists. And karma and luck cannot be true in a world where the type of God, the prophet Isaiah, you know, celebrated if that God exists, which is this God. Let's read this together. I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purposes." So how do you reconcile that with the evil that happens in our world? I, our family has dealt with a lot of pain. Um, my wife had to deal with chronic debilitating pain for a good chunk of our marriage. You know, most of you know um, our oldest, oldest son deals with a debilitating disease that's incurable. 
I've asked that question many times. Is this random? Is there no purpose behind this? Or is God truly who he claims to be, that he is good? And if he's good, is he also sovereign? And the answer to that is he must be, if I believe the Bible to be true. And if he's sovereign and if he's good, and he's allowed these things into my life, they didn't come into my life by chance. They didn't come into my life because I did something wrong, like karma. They came into my life because in his providence he's allowed them into my life and the life of my family because he's doing something beautiful in it and through it. I don't know what that is. Now, in Job, we're, 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 we're told the end of what happens at the end of his life and God basically gives him twofold or even more of what he lost. But he doesn't always do that. I, I'm reading through the Bible through, and through you know, a year with Seth, and one of the readings was in Genesis chapter 50, well, it will be in Genesis chapter 50, um, verse 20, referring to what happened to Joseph when his brothers tried to, well, his brothers sold him into slavery. And for most of Joseph's life, he was in prison, he was, um, you know, um, shamed, and then eventually found himself in a leadership position in Egypt. But he lost his family, and he lost his father. And he said to his brothers when they were reunited, when they were forced to come to Egypt for food, and Joseph was the one who was calling the shots, Joseph said, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And you're like, okay, fine, I, I, I can concede to that, like, yeah, God used Joseph, and he and all the pain and stuff, God was doing something there so that he could be in a leadership position in, in Egypt. But then Joseph's family moved into Egypt with him and lived there for over 400 years. God had said, I'm going to use this to multiply this nation and make it a great nation. But what did that include? Slavery. Slavery for hundreds of years. Abuse from Pharaoh. Pharaoh meant it for evil, but God was doing something good. Not every generation was able to see it, but God was doing something good. I'm like, okay, all right, so yeah, Israel and Egypt, yeah, I get that. Here's the most vivid picture of how God can use the evil decisions of people and the evil circumstances that we, find that we might find ourselves in, how he is using that even something as ugly as, as evil and, and, and the bad things in life, he is using that to do something beautiful. And the place where we see that most vividly is the cross. After um, Jesus rose from, was, was crucified, was buried, rose on the third day, and then ascended to heaven, Peter on Pentecost delivered this sermon and he said to the people there who cried not long ago, crucify him, crucify him, when Pilate said, who shall I let go, Barabbas or Jesus? And, and what should I do with this man, Jesus? And they said, crucify him. 
Peter said this, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Like, his blood is on your hands, it's on your heads, just like you cried out when you said, crucify him. Let his blood be upon us and on, our, and, you know, on, our, on the generations that follow us. You're responsible for his death, but your responsibility in his death served in God's predetermined plan to crucify his son. In Isaiah 53, it says that God, it was the will of God to crush Jesus, to crush him. And the, word, the Hebrew word I believe for will could also mean his pleasure to crush his son. The most vivid and ugliest display of evil that mankind has ever witnessed is at the cross when, when lawless men and women wanted the only truly righteous human being without sin to be crucified and to be, and to be killed. Not only was he 100% man, he was 100% God in flesh. At the cross, man's desire to kill God and to kill what is righteous was displayed. God was taking that evil and he was turning it around into something beautiful, something good. And you are here today. Most of you, if you're a Christian, you are here today because of what God did on the cross through his son. Amen? And so I know this sermon didn't give you an easy answer. You know, uh, does everything happen for a reason? Yes. Does it make sense all the time? Absolutely not. And that's okay. But when you tell somebody everything happens for a reason, use caution. You know that passage in Romans? You know, in chapter 8, God's working all things out for your good. Be careful. You can use the Word of God as a scalpel to perform delicate surgery and using it to help people heal or you can use it to rip somebody's heart out. What Job's friends should have done is they should have kept their mouths shut. What Job's wife should have done she should have just sat next to him. Maybe helped with his sores. <laughs> Everything happens for a reason. God is doing something in even in the midst of the evil that we see, God is doing something and he's turning it around into something beautiful. And even though you don't see it yet, it doesn't mean he's not doing it. And some of you need to hear that. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day and thank you for your word. God, you are Adonai. You are Adonai. You are the sovereign one. You remind us that you are Adonai all throughout your word at least 400 times in the Old Testament. You are Adonai. You are our master. You are our Lord. You are the sovereign one who does not sleep, does not slumber, does not take vacations, does not, does not miss a thing. 
There is no chance in your universe. There is no room for karma in your universe. That there is purpose even in some of the most ugliest and most evil things that we see in our lives. And that purpose doesn't mean that evil people are exempt for the, from the evil that they do, but you are able to use even the most evil of intentions for our good and for your glory. And God, I know that there's coming a day when you make all things new, that you are the God you are the God who's able to even redeem some of the ugliest things that we have seen in our generation and generations before us. You are the God who is Adonai. You are almighty. You are El Shaddai. And you are even capable of redeeming the swastika if you so choose to do so. You are good. We are not. You are sovereign. And it's because you're sovereign, because you're good, we rest in that, even when we don't understand why the things that are happening in our world and maybe even happening to one, each of us in this room, why they happen, we, we may not understand it, but we rest in your goodness. And that's okay for me. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, have a great rest of the week. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.